while there might be scenarios where other people are to blame, 90% of the time, if things aren't going well in your life, it's probably on you to have a look at what you've done. So uh, my name's Tom McDonald. Uh, I've been an AFL football player for 13 seasons with the Melbourne Demons. Um, still currently playing, hopefully for a little bit longer, but um, yeah, happy to come and have a chat today. And how did you grow up? I grew up in a little town called Eden Hope, which is in Western Victoria. Um, it's about halfway between Adelaide and Melbourne, four and a half hour drive each way. Um, I was there until year 11, and then I went to school in Ballarat for year 12 as a boarder. Um, for football essentially I was travelling a lot for junior footy at that stage from back in the country to Melbourne every weekend and uh, so I went to school in Ballarat for a year and then I came to Melbourne but yeah grew up as a farm kid essentially 20 kilometres out of a little town called Edenhope and um, probably pretty typical for most country kids at that stage we take the school bus in every day and um, small country town prep year 12 was I think 200 kids total from all the way through sometimes year 12 would only have three or four students in the class so um, but that was pretty typical from where I grew up so um, I was lucky to get the chance to move to Ballarat for football that gave me the chance to actually play AFL if that didn't happen it's probably too difficult to make it to professional football from that level of country unless you're just a genetic freak or a superstar from a young age, which I really wasn't. So um, that was sort of the journey to get to AFL. So how does that work? That you would have that you wouldn't have been able to make it. Well, so for example, in year eleven, I was my mum would pick me up from school at midday. I'd have to train in Ballarat on a Thursday night, so it was a three and a half hour drive. So I'd leave from school at midday, get to Ballarat around four o'clock, um, train from four till seven, and then get back in the um, team bus back to Horsham where my mum would pick me up at 11 o'clock at night and I'd get home at midnight. I'd go to school on the Friday and then usually either mum or dad, we would get in the car and drive to Melbourne five hours on the Friday night, play footy on the Saturday morning for the TAC Cup team and then drive home from Melbourne on the Saturday night at, and get home at one in the morning. And then you'd have local basketball or football training during the week. I think I did 50,000 kilometres in the car in my year 11 year. And so it was just unsustainable to try and play um, high-level footy and do any sort of school study. And, like, I wanted to do well at school. It wasn't the be-all and end-all, but I wanted to do well. And so it's just too hard to do that amount of travel and that amount of time in the car and try and play high-level footy and do well at school. So how did you deal with that? Um, year 11, I just sort of tried to make do. I tried to focus. I was doing, like, the the one year 12 subject because of year 11. So I focused on that one because I knew that's the one that counted. And I just sort of, I don't know, you do study in the car. Um, you just, by the end of the year, you're just exhausted though. So that's when they, they said the this football team, which is North Ballarat Rebels, or now it's Greater Western Victoria Rebels. They said there's an opportunity to get a partial scholarship to play footy in Ballarat. And then you don't have to travel for the trainings. There's a team bus that'll go up on the Saturday to play. Um, it'll make it a lot easier for you. You have more um, exposure to AFL scouts, AFL talent guys, and it will give you a much better chance to still do well at school as well. We have tutors every night. Um, and, yeah, it was the best decision we ever made. Amazing. How did your parents go with it? Uh, I think it made their life a lot easier. I was the first. So there's four siblings. Um, I'm the oldest. And so I went for year 12. And then after it went really well for me, I still did reasonably well at school. 
and I got drafted to play footy straight out of, out of high school. My uh, sister went the next year to Ballarat and Clarendon College in Year 10, and then my brother did the same thing. He went to St. Pat's where I went in Year 10, and then my little sister went in Year 10 as well. And so I think for them it was the realisation of how much easier it would be to do well at school with all the extra resources you got at those schools versus a tiny little country town. Plus, all our family were pretty sporty. My brother played AFL for eight years as well. Um, you just had so much more access to everything the city kids got, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and just gave us, gave them all a better chance. They were all geniuses. All three other siblings all got 99-plus on their enter scores, and uh, one's a surgeon, one played footy for eight years, and one's um, still studying now. She's the youngest. So for our family, it was the best thing you could ever do to go to those schools. And are your parents still on the farm? Yep, yep, still back at Eden Oak. So at that point in year 11, were you set on playing AFL or...? I actually liked basketball more. So I'd done a couple of basketball tours over to the States with a team in year 10 and year 11. And I actually got offered to go play high school basketball in America, in Phoenix. And a couple of weeks, oh, a month before I was due to go, the host family I was going to live with in year 11 over there, or what, that's junior, junior year for Americans, um, the host family parents split up and they said, sorry, we don't have a place for you to stay anymore. Um, can you come back next year? We'll get organised. And that would have been my year 12 year when I was sort of tossing up between footy and basketball. And I was probably more realistically a chance to go further in footy. I was never going to be an NBA player. And I sort of thought, well, I'm going to have a real go at footy in my year 12 year. If I don't get drafted, I'm going to go back to training for basketball and try and go to college in America after that. But I did get drafted in the end and stayed with footy. So I wasn't dead set. Like a lot of kids go from five years old, I want to play AFL, I want to be a footballer. I love playing, but I love basketball just as much. And so I was sort of just, I would chop and change from year to year, which one was more important. And you had the idea you wanted to do well at school as well. I wanted to do well. I wasn't, like my brothers and sisters were all obsessed with study. And like I'd do the, we had a tutor at St. Pat's for from 6.30 to 8.30 every night. And so I'd use that time, whereas a lot of boys would stuff around and <laughs> play computer games or do whatever they could do. And I, I would use it, but I wasn't obsessive like some kids were. But, like, you've got a degree from... Yeah, I'm finished now. ...the best uni in the country. Yeah. Well, so... Well, debatable, but... <laughs> <laughs> I finished it, yeah. I finished uni. It took me eight years after getting drafted to finish it, but got there eventually. Yeah, and that's a... You did commerce, right? Did commerce, yeah. Yeah, so, like, you're selling yourself pretty short. Like, that's a... It's like you got into a good uni. Got into a good uni, yeah. Yeah, like I I did well enough at school to get into that uni and and do it, but it's never been the most important thing in my life. Like I was sort of doing uni part-time. You're in and out. I wasn't always in heaps of classes because of footy schedules. So I've never been that obsessed with getting the best marks. I'm more about, well, how would I actually use this in real life? And I'm sort of going through that stage at the moment, getting ready for finishing footy in the next few years and... I'm not really worried about where my degree gets me. I'm more worried about who wants me to actually work. Like who could use what I bring to the table is more important for me. Yeah. Rather than what I learned at uni now, nine, ten years ago, <laughs> that I can't remember any of it. Yeah, yeah. But I imagine lots of people aren't thinking like that at all. Um, in the football world, that's pretty common because boys are just focused on footy. They'll do their uni and try to do well enough at it to obviously not fail and get reasonable marks. But... It's a bit different in footy because it's like a secondary thing, whereas a lot of kids in uni, when you're 21, the most important thing is doing well in your class, whereas we're trying to do well in the footy field, like we're getting paid to play footy, 
so it's probably more common in where I come from whereas I can see the other side of it where it's uni students are more worried about obviously doing well with their tests Mm. so was that all just you being self-motivated or were your parents like school's important and or were they pushing the sport at all um was never pushy on any of it there was always like an expectation like if we're going to send you to school and pay for you to go to boarding school you're going to do like a reasonably well like if you're fucking around (laughs) we're gonna like it's not going to go like this but um was never the type of parents who were pushy pushy with sport in terms of we're going to get these coaches and pay for all this sort of stuff it was like if you want to play footy or play basketball give the opportunity we'll drive you wherever we need to go but it was never you must do well at this one sport like you hear about that a lot with tennis and kid golfers and stuff where it's they just hate it by the time they're 12 years old it wasn't like that for us um but there was an expectation with school to do well and they were your mum was hard to drive you though yeah yeah they loved it like they love coming like they still come to nearly every footy game they can in melbourne like they'll drive up every weekend to come watch and um my little sister's now playing netball in london for the london team and mum usually flies over there once a year to try and watch her play a few games and come back which is probably as far as you could go in the world to go and watch your kids play sport but um yeah they just they loved it as much as we did Hmm. okay so when, sorry, I'm just thinking, when we met, that was when you just arrived in Melbourne. It would have been through Drew McGuinness. And, yeah, and you had a car, which I remember was like a big deal. What did I... I probably <laughs> well, had the, I don't know. I probably had a, my first car was a red Mitsubishi Lancer that had faded pink and I got ripped off by the guy that bought it off because it looked cool when I got it. And then within a week, the paint started to like fade more and more and I was driving around a pink Lancer as an 18-year-old kid who just got drafted and I didn't think I was very cool. But I might have sold it by the time (laughs) I met you and got something different (laughs) because I was too embarrassed. So how was that transition going to Melbourne? So you, I finished school like in November or whenever it was and then you have maybe a week off and I was getting ready to go to schoolies. Um, You're waiting for the draft, which is the end of November. The draft night happens and we didn't have Foxtel at home so I went into my mate's house in town and you watch the draft on TV and by the time you sort of get through the first couple of rounds of the draft where all the best players go, um, we get to the third round and they don't call out every name. It sort of comes up across the bottom of the screen like Thomas McDonald, draft pick 53. And I saw my name flash up and I was like, oh, does that mean I'm drafted? And we all saw it and then just started partying in the house and erupted and everyone was super happy. But like I was a late draft pick, so you never really expected to... You know, there's not much fanfare when you're a late draft pick. It's the top guys who everyone's excited about when they get to the club. These guys are going to change the club forever. And um, So, yeah, get drafted. That was on a Thursday night. The footy club, your phone just blows up instantly. The coach, the general manager, the CEO, they all call you. Um, they said, yep, we'll come drive down to Melbourne, be here on Sunday. We'll move you in with our host family and we'll get started at training on Monday. So you pack up the car the next day on the Friday and get ready to leave on the Saturday night. And uh, wait, this is while you're at school. No, this is school. Is just fin- oh, sorry. Okay. So I was meant to be going to schoolies on the Monday. Where and, are we going to go? Uh, lawn, I think. And of course, they go, Yeah, well, you're not going to schoolies, mate. You're coming to footy training. And so, cancelled schoolies and then drove to um, Melbourne that weekend to start on the Monday. And you move in with a host family. So, a family that 
Um, usually they're Melbourne supporters or whatever team it is, they support the team and they've quite often they're empty nesters. The kids have all left for uni or left for work and that was the scenario with this family. They had a three spare bedrooms, all the kids were 19 to 25 and they'd all just left the house and the parents wanted someone to come in. So me and uh, Lucas Cook, who I got drafted with, went and lived with this random family, <laughs> which was strange. Where did they live? Uh, Camberwell. So the dad, Greg, the most over-the-top, like, out loud guy you would ever meet, like, come in to shake his hand and he rips me in and hugs me for 10 seconds and I've never met the man before. And the mum's American from Cincinnati and has no concept of footy, doesn't care about it, just but the most lovely woman. And, yeah, so we lived with them for the first year of our career pretty much. And still for probably 10 years after that year, we'd go and have dinner with them every week or every fortnight until just recently they've been in China the last couple of years with a new business they've started. But, um, yeah, a lot of people who come from interstate or from country teams, they get moved in with a host family to help them sort of get into footy rather than just moving the boys into an apartment who are 18 years old and have got no idea about anything. That's how they sort of get them started for the first year. They move them in with the host family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you have any expectations about what was going to happen with the draft? Or I was hoping I'd get drafted around where I did, like be a late draft pick or potentially a rookie pick, which is like a secondary draft, um, which doesn't really make much difference. But yeah, I was best case scenario was where I got drafted for me. Because I just, like I was an okay junior player, but I was probably drafted more on potential of been quite tall I had good um, athletic combine testing results like I had good endurance running and I had a good jump and I was reasonably quick but I wasn't really a dominant junior player and I was probably drafted more of potential than anything else mm-hmm. yeah which has probably changed a little bit recently like at, at that stage like 10-15 years ago there's a lot of drafting athletes and we'll teach them how to be footballers now it's gone back to well we can make reasonable guys into good athletes it's hard to teach guys how to play footy at a high level so now it's probably more the opposite way you draft good footballers and we'll make them fit enough we'll make them strong enough we'll improve their physical characteristics so it swings it swings both ways how does that work for other sports do you know like u.s Um, sports is it like u.s sports like nfl is probably more based on the physical because it's just those guys are just so insanely big fast powerful that if you don't have the physical ability, you just can't play that sport. And it's more about they teach them the very specific football movements. Basketball is probably a mixture of both, but obviously you've got to be tall as well. Um, soccer is probably more about the skill, I reckon. Well, you probably got a better idea. You lived over there. But soccer, you can if you've got good ball skills, you've probably got a way to play in soccer. Um, but yeah, the NFL is the opposite. It's just pure physical ability, being massive, huge dudes <laughs> and if you're even if you're not super powerful if you're massive and fat you can probably be an offensive lineman if you're strong enough to hold your position so mm-hmm. yeah real mixture okay should we get into overcoming adversity i suppose yeah um look i'm not going to pretend i've had that much adversity though like i we were talking before about you've had people with all kinds of depression and drug addictions and really 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 tough stuff i haven't had anything like that um which that's a good thing, I guess. Like, don't want anyone to go through that sort of stuff. My sort of adversity has probably been a mixture of just injuries. Like, I've had um, both shoulders reconstructed. I've had an elbow cleaned out with nine bone fragments in it. I've had a knee scope. I've had a both ankles surgery. I've had a 
Liz Frank repair on my foot just recently. Um, I've had broken ribs. I've had punctured lungs, like all kinds of just, which is probably pretty standard for a lot of footballers. So it's probably been, for me, it's the just each time you have one of them, you kind of think you can never get back to playing again or you'll never be the same. Um, but I'd say, so for me, the first thing that I sort of overcome was uh, probably three or four years ago, um, my career was really at a crossroads. I was probably close to being done. Melbourne had said to me, um, we want to try and trade you and we think a fresh start. And I thought the same thing. I wanted a fresh start. And we got Why rounded. Why did you want a fresh start? Because I was out of the team. I wasn't playing very well. I was pretty, not angry at the coaches, but I just wasn't happy in their environment we are in. And I probably spent like a month or two at the end of the season just you know, wallowing in my own self-pity a bit. And I think we probably all go through that stage when something hasn't gone well, whether it's work or family going, it's not my fault, it's their fault. Um, you know, If they would do this, then I would be fine. If the coaches would put me in this position, I'd be playing well. And so I just had those sort of thoughts in my head for a good month or two. And we got towards the end of the year and I thought, well, the trade period is the way for me to get a fresh start and then I'll be good again. And we got to the trade period and I still had two years left on my contract. So if they couldn't trade me, I'd be coming back to Melbourne, which was a good thing because it meant I still had a chance to play footy because if I was out of contract, you'd be out on the street pretty much. How did you feel about being up for trade or you were just like, yeah? At that stage, I was still sort of like just pissed off with everything and I was like, I just want to go somewhere else. Um, And I had a couple of interviews before the trade period with other teams and I thought, yep, this will happen. I'll get a fresh start. And then... We get to the trade period and it didn't. no team was interested in actually doing the trade when it happened. And so that was a bit of like self-realization that, yeah, maybe you're not as good as you think. And so then I started to, I was like, all right, I've got to get out of my own head with thinking that it's other people's fault. Like, this is on me. How quick was that transition? Like, did you kind of wallow in it for a bit? I think once the, so the trade period goes for like 10 days. At the end of that 10 days, I was like, all right, now I need to do something different. Like I need a, this is on me. And so my mindset sort of shifted that um, as soon as that happened, I was like, all right, I'm going to prove Melbourne wrong. Like I'm going to, this is my chance to make them go, we made a mistake by trying to trade him anyway. And so I started training from that day, literally every day from then until we came back like three months later, I was training by myself. So normally every player would have a month off like a month of doing pretty much nothing or like low level exercise and then they'd have a month or two of build up before we come back as a team they give you a program but I was like nah stuff I'm gonna just train every day um this is like revenge buddy after a honestly it was it was like that's what it was kind of like I was like fuck them I'm gonna show them and it was like bodies because I was overweight like in footy terms like I was probably three or four kilos too heavy I wasn't moving very well and so I, I changed my training. I went and got a personal trainer for the first time ever. I'd never gone and paid someone to help me with my training. So I got a guy who was like a footwork expert. Um, I changed my diet completely and started doing that every day. And I was, it was, it, honestly, it was like revenge body, yeah, ex, ex-girlfriend sort of stuff. And, but once I sort of started seeing results, like within two or three weeks, I was like, God, I'm moving better. I'm looking better in the mirror. And you start feeling good about yourself again and you start doing the training with a few other guys and boys started noticing like geez what have you been doing like you look different and I feel like it started to compound on itself like kind of like when you go to the gym the first week or two you look no different but as soon as you start to notice a couple of differences you're like oh I can start to see a little bit of a muscle there or a bit of ab there or whatever it may be you're aiming for it makes it so much more like more motivating to keep going again and again and so I started to see the results 
Um, and I think the diet, like I changed my diet completely. I went on a really low carb diet, which um, it's not perfect for footy long term. But at that stage, I was like, I just want to strip as much weight off as I can. So it was clear, like exactly what you had to do. I'd done a version of it earlier in my career with the diet stuff, but it hadn't worked that well. So I'd done a fair bit of research on how to sort of change it. And I'd gone to a, instead of like a keto diet, I did more of a high protein um, version of it. And I'd add carbs in for around my training. So I'd have rice and potato before um, big training sessions to give me the carbs for a, a big running session which I'm not sure if your listeners really care about <laughs> nutrition sort of stuff. <laughs> no, but I'm just wondering where it came from. So it's like, okay, 10 days of the trading period and then you're like, I need to change. And then over what time are you like, okay, what's the plan? What's the diet plan? Who do I... Like- I think like literally one night I sat down and I just like, I like to write things in my notepad diary sort of thing. And I just started writing down, all right, what am I going to do for this week of training? And I was like, Monday is going to be footwork personal training guy in the morning afternoon is going to be weights with cross training on the bike so it was like hour and a half in the morning have lunch do an hour of leg weights and do half an hour cross training in the afternoon then it was going to be tuesday it was going to be upper body weights with boxing and then i just wrote out a week and i wrote down like i didn't write a nutrition program but i wrote a guideline i was like i'm not going to have any of the shit foods we all know ice cream chips lollies like that's all gone no drinking um i'm going to focus on bacon, eggs, avocado on the mornings and protein shake as a snack after training and I'm going to have some sort of protein steak, slow cooked meat in the afternoon night and I sort of wrote out a week of what I was roughly going to do and then I just sort of keep adding to it each and time we went along. this is when everyone else is taking time off. And- yeah, everyone's in time off but I'd sort of, I felt like because I didn't play for the last month or two of the season this is, I had to start straight away. And I was like, I need to make an impression when I get back that I'm serious and I'm ready to go again. And you never looked back or were like, oh, I can't be bothered um, this week. So not until later on in that year. So I got through that sort of two or three months of the off season. We go back to training in November, December probably. And we do two weeks of training before with the team. All the team comes back together at the start of December. We have a time trial and then we do two weeks of training. And I ran really well in the time trial. What's the time trial? Back then it was four one kilometer runs with like four minutes in between each one. Okay. And so so you could clearly see like, this is how I'm going to be measured and I want to make sure yeah. I'm like dominating. So we things. have that, we have the time trial, we have our body fat testing where they test like your skin folds around seven sides, the-, the tongs, the <laughs> calipers. And I was like, I need to be impressive on that. I need to run well and I need to train well for the footy stuff. And uh, I thought I made it like... It's kind of like you said, seeing the ex-girlfriend for the first time <laughs> with the body. And so um, I had like my career best in all of those areas when I came back. And that was sort Amazing. of like, this is what I need to do to keep going. So I got back in, I played round one in the team. I was back in the side and pretty much had like the best start of my career for the first two thirds or three quarters of that season. Now I'm looking back on it in hindsight, I probably went a bit too hard. Like I was so obsessive at that start. I trained so hard for so long. I got to the back end of the season and I started to have back issues. Had some stress fractures in my back. I missed a couple of games. But Melbourne was going so well. Like we were top of the ladder and we were going into finals. So this was 2021. And I wanted to obviously keep playing. Like we were a chance to actually win the grand final. At the end of that, towards the end of that season, we all got moved over to Perth to play the finals. 
and I was really struggling with my body at that stage. So I was sort of looking back, I needed to do that three or four months of insane training and food and discipline. At the back end of the season, I realized I'd probably gone a bit too hard, like my body was cooked. You can't maintain that level of intensity for ever, let like for a season, let alone for a 15 year career. So got to the end of that season, I was having Toradol injections in my ass cheek before a game to sort of get the pain out of my back to play the last three games. Um, but we won the grand final. We won over in Perth, and, and it was you like kicked a goal, on the... kicked the goal after the siren. But we're already up by seventy points, so it's not a real sort of after the siren goal. But it was sort of I look back and I go, it was worth every second of the training that went into it, even though I sort of paid the price on the back end because I it sort of helped me realize just to get out of my own head when things went and stop blaming other people. Majority of it was on me, like it was on my mindset why was I blaming others like if I looked in the mirror earlier I probably could have turned it around in that season before and got myself back in the side and I wouldn't have had to go through all that but I now see it as a learning example of well there might be scenarios where other people are to blame 90% of the time if things aren't going well in your life it's probably on you to have a look at what you've done like what's led you to this point why are you not playing good footy why are you doing no good at work why are your friends not wanting to hang out with you like what are you doing and so that for me, that was the most important part was actually look back and realize that, yeah, have a look in your own backyard first. Yeah. And, and that then, is the, like you being like, oh, it's not that much adversity compared to whatever. That's not really the point. The point is like everyone who comes on here, they like are talking about, yeah, this victim mentality thing doesn't work. And this is how I had to change my life. And yeah, it can be something, you know. It, yeah, people have really fucked up. So what did you have with the people who've come on? You were talking about the guy who, with the really bad depression. How did he get out of... Like, I'm not in that stage where I'm thinking about suicide, but how do those people get out of that successfully long-term? Well, that's... I think that's what I yeah like talking about a lot because that's what I struggle with. That vo- Those thoughts you're saying, that's like my experience of depression what other people say it's like that but for life it's like it like everything's too hard like i'm not like i'm not going to get out of bed like Mm. it's just too it's just yeah those being trapped in it's like sounds so similar to what you're saying it's just like the world's fault yeah and so it's making that choice of like yeah it's really fucking hard and then that's like gratitude and everything like that and probably like everything like yeah what you said reminded me of like jordan peterson type i was just thinking about the same thing when you said that like his sort of thing about just doing one thing getting started with one little thing and i sort of think the same way with the gym just getting a few days in a row at the gym and you start to see a tiny bit of progress, it's very easy to snowball it going that way. Just like it's easy to snowball going the other way when you start going, oh, it's coach's fault, it's their fault that I'm not playing. It's very easy to just keep adding the blame on. But when it starts going the other way, it's easy to get the ball on a roll. And for me to start getting footy stuff all back in line, once you start on the first thing, which was just training straight away, everything else started to get going in that way. And I don't know if it's something like depression, if just simple things like adding a five, a 15 minute walk every night or, you know, 15 minutes of breath work or something, does that just help people get started on something positive? Or I'm going to cook a healthy meal tonight or 
I don't know, like, do little yeah. things help people start to get on a better path bit by bit? I think so. I think, And I think it's about that choice. It's like that moment you had of like, I'm going to, I need to change. So then that's the same thing with depression. It's like, I want to get better, so I'm going to make this change. And that's literally now, because I just had this bad week recently and it's so annoying because it's like you think and maybe it's similar with footy when it's like you're going really well and then you get an injury or something like Mm. is derailed and it's like fuck why is this happening again like yeah but it's just like okay this is what we're dealing with and then yeah it is the basic stuff and this is this is why the guy lance yesterday the former afl player i was telling you about he um said something that really helped me that's like about that's your medicine so it's like every morning doing that walk doing like these small things and it's like this is what i will do and the same with yeah like going to the going to the gym or whatever but i guess it's like it's just being sustainable that you can stick to it and obviously i mean you're clearly like really disciplined do you think um or do you, were there times when you were like, think, fuck this diet? Yeah, oh, and I still have that now. Um, I would say, look, probably compared to the average sports person or the average like person who plays local footy, yeah, you, I'm disciplined compared to maybe that because of the training and the work ethic involved just to even be at the level. But there's there's guys I've played with who are just insane. Like I'm thinking of, um, there's a guy who played for the Bulldogs, Daniel Cross, who came and played for a couple of years at Melbourne and then he was our um, head of rehabilitation for injuries for a while. Now he's at North Melbourne. But even when he had retired, that he could never, ever allow himself to go, oh, I'm going to have ice cream after dinner tonight. He was so disciplined. I've never seen anyone like it. We were So we travelled to Maroochydore every year for a training camp in February to train in the heat. And I lived in his house one year. Like we were in little townhouses together. And we would sit and watch like the tennis because it's the tennis season at the start of Feb or end of Jan, whenever it was. And we'd just be sitting on the couch watching at 7.30 at night. But every ad break, he would get up and he'd do a different body part stretch and then he'd do a few crunches and maybe some push-ups and he'd do some back mobility every ad break until it was time to go to bed. And we were kind of like, why are you doing that? He's like, oh, I've just always done it. Like it helps me with my mobility for the next day. And I was like, that level of discipline to do the tiniest little thing every night for your whole life was just insane like i've never seen anyone so like he'd weigh out every meal he'd never ever eat anything that would ever make him feel worse the next day he would push himself at every training session and even once he retired he was the rehab coach he'd come in and he'd run at 6am by himself to do his own running then he'd take the training session with the rehabbers and run with them and they would have like a 12Ks of running session to come back from injury and then he'd go and play local footy and train with them like he was playing AFL like just the amount of work he would put in was insane. And I was like, compared to him, I've got no discipline. <laughs> so it's sort of a spectrum of... But I think... So, I reckon the ad break thing, that could just be a habit, which is a, could be a good thing. Yeah. Like, I do this weird thing where I'm like, I always... If there's stairs next to an escalator, I have to take the stairs. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I look like such a fucking weirdo because then the person I'm talking to, I'm like, sorry, I have to I take, take the, the stairs. stairs. <laughs> but it's yeah. just, then it's just like, okay... That's see, habit, yeah, yeah. That's habit. But... The food that could be like unhealthy. It's obsession. everything combined with the, with a guy like that, and he was he was never really that. You wouldn't say he was the most talented footballer ever, but he played for 16, 17 years. Was one of the best Bulldogs players ever, 
and it was all just because of all this stuff that he put in and it's it's become so ingrained and so habitual he can never stop it now I don't think like he, mm. he'll be doing this until his knees give out well that's what I think though that's another important thing that when you're starting something so because people can be like okay I've got to change but then it becomes obsessive so it's like oh my god I missed my meditation I'm a failure and then you go like totally off the rails mm. or and that could be with food it's like oh 100% so, with food it's the same like I can have, we can have a footy game and quite often after a game you go and eat whatever you want like you get pizza burgers whatever because it's just you've done so much exercise that what you eat probably doesn't make much difference to body fat after a game but then what happens is you get up on the Sunday and you're like oh I'm hungry I'm sore I can't be bothered doing anything Uber Eats and then you start eating crap the next day and then it rolls into day after day. So, yeah, it's just... I keep sort of coming back to the, the decisions start to snowball, whereas if you can... If you've missed a meditation or if you've missed a workout for whatever reason, how do you just forget about that and go back to the next day or the next session and get back on track? But it is hard to do. For some reason, your brain likes to just keep doing the same thing after it's made a decision. <laughs> yeah, but I think as long as you're... It's not the beating yourself like punishing yourself of like i'm just a failure now i'm gonna eat a burger every night even though i don't it's like the self-sabotaging yeah if it's just like damn i'm in the habit of not going to gym i'm gonna change the habit Mm. then because yeah it's fine to fall off i mean no that's it's healthy like i think that's too extreme if you're like i can't like i can't function without this yeah and then it's like you can't eat cake at your kid's birthday that's like so depressing yeah i don't know what the answer is though on the perfect way like what's the perfect balance like some people say you should never have cheap meals and you know you should never blow out on drinking or whatever like what's i don't know is it healthy to go and have a night drinking and be hammered drunk or is that good for your mental health or bad for your body obviously it's probably bad for your body but is that a good thing for your mental health to go? Sometimes I'm just going to go out, I'm going to get drunk and I'm dancing on a nightclub floor because this is fun. Or is that actually making things worse for us? Like, I don't know. I'd I like re- to know. I reckon it's like intuition. You've got to just go with what your body tells you. Mm. Like when you get really into that. So when you're out of your head and you're more just like trusting your body and trusting yourself mm. and you know, like, yeah, I can go on a night out and get drunk. Who cares? But yeah, that's why it's like being kind for yourself, to yourself, yeah. all that stuff. Because yeah. if you do go on a night out and then you're doubting it and then you're, yeah, beating yourself <laughs> up, it's like, well, that's a waste of time. It's like, who cares? Mm. You know, or if you come back and you're like, oh, I hate being hungover. Like, I hate how this feels. Then it's like, cool, note to self. Like, well, I'm a bit like that now. And especially with kids. Like, I've got two little kids. It's got to be a very special scenario for me to want to be out late night out because the kids are up at 6 6 30 and i'll wake up in the morning if i've had more than maybe four or five drinks and i go oh this is just it's not worth it no matter what the fun was the night before it's not worth it to do to not be able to play with the kids or feel horrific doing it in the morning for four hours before you can finally get going so yeah a bit different from maybe a 21 year old hmm 
But that's why I think that's why some of those mental models, if they're healthy, like the stretching and the ad breaks or whatever, and then you continue with your life. Like people have rules that it's like nothing good happens after midnight. Yep. So it's like midnight. It's like <laughs> nothing. You're not going to miss anything. Especially, I think, if you've had those nights when you're young, it's like, yeah, cool. You've like been... Hmm. up until sunrise or whatever and it's like do i need to keep doing that for the rest of my life probably like, not yeah no so it's like i know what happens afterwards like it's funny stuff will happen but like everyone's just drunk like it's not yeah all right back to what, what were your um what are your sort of things you have each week to week then that you get done you said oh i had a bad week with this like what didn't you do or what went wrong no a bad week in terms of, in terms of i was so depressed but what caused that what changed i don't know that's why it's annoying yeah because it will just happen that i just feel i guess yeah worthless is the feeling it's just like what's the and if you look back you can't think of like was food different was it sleeping was it is any of that related for you i think um hormonal there might be like a big hormone mm. which so to be to get more serious about this it would be like tracking it properly mm. and being like but it's just hard to do like when because when you get into that mood you're like there's no point in anything yeah so you're it's hard yeah but i don't know there's also like because my stuff will get quite extra existential about like what am i and maybe this is what happens to athletes after finishing which sounds like you're like good thinking thinking in advance but if you get to a point where it's like who am i like what am i doing with my life when you Mm. think like that too much it's just negative like you just shouldn't be thinking like that all the time because then it because yeah they're kind of if you strip everything away like there isn't really a point or is Mm. there a point who knows (laughs) (laughs) i never get to that sort of level but i do swing back and forth so i swing back and forth from thinking about working after footy and life after footy between on the positive end going I've got so much to offer to so many different people or businesses on what I've learned from footy and I can I've got all these different viewpoints and lifestyle experiences that I can share and hopefully help someone to swinging the other way and going no I'm just a footballer who knows how to kick a footy around and run a time trial and I have no experience and everyone else has been in the workforce since 21 after uni and I'm going to be 32, 33 and I'm just a, a footballer. And so I swing back and forth and I never, like, that's the sort of, now I never get depressed about it, but I sometimes go, well, oh shit, maybe I'm nowhere near where I think I am sometimes in my own head about what I could actually do post footy. And that's, mm. and I have no experience, like I've done a couple of little bits of work experience here and there since doing my um, degree, but until I'm actually in a job and, or in a business of some sort, I have no idea what I actually can contribute or how it works. Like I'm just so used to a footy routine for 13 years of what it looks like at the same club, same different coaches and things through the years. But there's a few players I've played the whole 13 years with and we're just so used to seeing each other every morning and going through the, well, I get in there, I get my ankles taped, I get um, physio treatment on whatever injury, I go and do back mobility, I do glute activations and then we go and do a team meeting into training. Like it's a very regimented schedule all before 8am before we go into training which I know what that looks like and I know what weights looks like and it's just such a shock to think about what life would be like sitting in a boardroom or something after footy that sometimes I get really nervous about it which is weird no I think that's fair enough 
I think it's fair enough, but then I don't know why I swing between such wild, I'm going to be the best ever at this after footy versus I know nothing. Like, Yeah, okay. So this is really helpful. I summoned Charlie Covers on this podcast a couple of days ago. Um, he was saying something like, if you, you need to realise, like, the person who knows the most in the world like that you know like who you think is like the smartest most accomplished person Mm. out of everything there is to know in the world like they know like this tiny tiny percent right because the world is so big like if you think of whoever like bill gates or something he knows he's probably never even heard of afl yeah for example (laughs) like you know about this whole world that he has no idea about Mm. And so confidence is about like, yeah, that first thing that you're saying, reminding yourself that you do have all this value to add because you do know about this Mm. stuff and all your other personal attributes. But then, and then I think it's good having that doubt because then you're not like some arrogant, because then you're not going to get very far in life if you think you know everything and then people just don't want to be around you. But so it's good to have reality check um but yeah it's like staying grounded which is probably the solution for my thing it's like daily remind and yeah sorry that's what this guy charlie said it's like reminding yourself like of your identity and if you can figure out your purpose as well that helps Mm. but it can be like a general thing and it can change but so then every day you're like um as in like when you if you're yeah finished up and you're feeling lost or for anyone who's feeling like this it's like who am i okay this is who i am and there's stuff that's true to you no matter what like regardless of footy regardless of achieving anything yeah and then you just reinforce that yeah i mean this is really what i need to do that and i think for a lot of people who get so hard on themselves it's like reminding yourself like what have I done? Like, what can I add? So that's yeah. awesome that you do. Do you just naturally do that? Like, well, how I think d- about it when I, so I did a couple of weeks of work experience at um, Mondelez, which the business that owns Cadbury in the, just before Christmas. And that sort of just reminded me of how little experience or what I know outside of footy. But then when I went and did a couple of weeks, I was kind of like, oh, I could figure this out. Like, this is not, you know, not brain surgery. Like I can figure out how to fit in here, and you know, I've had a lot of experience with the footy club, with you know, talking groups and teamwork and public speaking. And I was like, there's definitely things here that I've got an advantage on, on what other people have worked here. Like there's people in this group that don't don't want us to talk in front of a group. They don't want to present. And I'm like, I'm so lucky that through footy, I would have done hundreds of media interviews, podcasts you know post-game radio interviews i've stood up in front of the group to give presentations and i'm like i'm so lucky i've gotten that experience even though i might not have the in work business experience that these other people in the group had while i was at uh, mondelez yeah but any job i think it's like you learn okay so you've done something where you had to have the skills and the natural ability like how much of footy is like like a big part of it would be like genetic Oh yeah, look, I'm six foot five and a hundred kilos. Like, there's a genetic component to that, and like a good athlete. Um, yeah. But then a lot of the skill acquisition comes through training. Yes. Okay. So that, and then also probably the probably like your way of like discipline is also like a genetic thing. Like some people yeah, are I don't just know. like I find that one interesting. I reckon there's a lot more how you're brought up on that rather than genetics. Huh. Like the lifestyle you've lived from 
you know, whenever you could talk and go to any sport training. Like your parents instilled it in you somehow. I think so. And even just the teams you're involved in, like, did you have a good junior footy coach or did you have a good primary school teacher that helped with that sort of stuff? I reckon it makes a big difference. Interesting. Yeah, that probably makes sense. Like I've seen so many guys at AFL level turn their career around from looking like they're probably going to be out of the league in their third or fourth year to all of a sudden being all Australian players down the line. Like Max Gorn, do you know Max, our captain? He was, he had done two knee reconstructions. He'd been in trouble for smoking on the way to training. He'd had multiple drinking problems. Well, not problems, but he'd been caught drinking when he probably shouldn't have been and was looking like his career was on the edge to now being probably the greatest ruckman in the history of the game because he found a way to sort of turn it around halfway through his AFL career. It wasn't like he was... It wasn't genetics that changed him at 24 years old. Like, that was a... You know, the way he was coached, trained, mentored as he got to that stage, got him to turn it around. So that's why I don't think there's as much genetics in that sort of stuff. But do you think the genetics is in, like, him being the type of person who... Like, I have no idea. Like, like, do you think there are... Some people are wired to like keep pushing oh absolutely yes but i think in footy groups there's so much more influence because there's 45 guys of the same age and another 10 or 15 coaches there's so many influences that hit that group like the decision of a few key players to what we're going to do like is there does a team function where there's drinking become out of hand because a few key people start to go make bad decisions versus a few key people make really good decisions influences so many other players and so the group dynamics in a footy club makes such a difference like most footy teams have a similar amount of talent similar amount of like physical capabilities but some teams are like Melbourne for the first eight years we were like the worst team in history pretty much of my career wasn't because we were that low I on think talent. St Kilda's been worse. So, yeah, <laughs> we were probably worse though in that period of, like, we were always bottom four for my first eight seasons. And I look back, and it wasn't like we lacked that much talent. We had a heap of high draft picks, but until the sort of group dynamics and the cultural side of it started to come through and impact a bigger range of players, we were always down the bottom. But then once it turned, it started to build momentum, and you started to get a really good group come through. And now we're We've had two really successful years of winning it and then second on the ladder in the year after that. So what caused it to turn? I think just a few of the key people, like guys like Gorney, Christian Petrarca, uh, Angus Brayshaw, like some senior players starting to change the way we trained, the way we talked to each other, the way we did things, little habits around the club. Like There was just one little example we had was we had a meeting talking about having more respect for the staff at the footy club by if you've got a massage at 3.30 to 4 like you're there at 3.29 like they they're not we don't make them stay over time for five minutes because you weren't there on time and when we play an away game everyone picks up all the shit on the floor like everyone cleans up so that we don't have the opposition teams having to clean up the change rooms when we leave and so so just some little decisions start to make you a bit more proud to be part of the club and, and was that ego stuff that was, or just sloppiness? I think it was just sloppiness and just a bit of a lack of respect for all the work that other people do for you to play football. Because when you're playing football, you think you're just the only people that matter are the guys that run out and play. But there's so many others that make it all happen. Like the, the property guy, he's there at 7am every morning and he's still putting everything away at 6pm. 
and just having respect and he's getting paid a quarter of what most of the players are but can you just help him out by putting the bags back in the property truck and say thanks when he gets something for you like just having a bit like I think we started to respect what went into the game more so than just what we were involved in playing mm-hmm. which then just sort of changed the culture of like being a little bit less selfish on the field and being you know helping someone else out a bit more I think that sort of helped turn it for us a lot and then were you able to like feed off that well we started your... well once we started talking about that we started talking about it on field and how can you how can your role help someone else do really well on the team and we kind of talked about like we've got heaps of good players in this team you're not getting a heap of recognition externally when you're bottom four on the ladder but when we won the grand final guys had probably worse stats than what they did in those other years but all of a sudden everyone in public thinks you're the best thing ever like there are people stopping you down the street saying well done on the grand final and even though I played pretty shit in the grand final like I had eight touches I kicked two junk time goals but people coming up saying thank you so much for what you did whereas the year before I probably played better but you get no recognition like no one cares if you're a bottom four side so guys sort of it started to turn where guys realise if I'm more selfless in this team and we do better it's better for all of us like but it's hard to tell people you have to take a step back for us to take a step forward as a team. But once you sort of get proof that it works, it's easier to get it happening again. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then for your kind of trend, what's, what do you call it? When you got yourself in good shape and yeah. everything. Yeah. I was going to say transformation. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you... Could you, like, feed off, like, okay, these guys have, like, turned this stuff around and I can do that as well? I think we sort of, you get so competitive. So maybe when guys saw I came back really fit and really dedicated, guys start getting competitive with the running, with the training, and they go, I'm going to beat you next session. And if guys all come back in really good condition, you get really competitive with the time trials and it just pushes everyone else to be a little bit better because they want to catch up and everyone wants to be at the same level. Yeah. So that's what we always talk about when we come back. You've got to be in good condition for your time trial and for the training so that we can get straight into training and we can actually do competitive match play, mm-hmm. for example. So that's what we're pushing every year. Don't make bad decisions in the off-season that will hold us back as a team when we come back. Yeah. Yeah. With the... Um, sorry, what I was going to say on the job thing is like, okay, so compared to AFL, this is like reassuring you, compared to AFL where it's like, yeah, genetic component, years of skill acquisition... Um, all this other stuff jobs are just not like that most of them it's like you learn on the job like you have to get in the door but it's like getting in the door a lot of it is like being like a nice person who asks questions who's interested who's like I want to add value which you have all those things and who you know yeah but that's how it works like why are you on this podcast (laughs) I know you like and that's fine like people I mean I don't know. But people want to help. It's like if you have a problem, who are you going to call? Like someone who you trust, right? Like yeah. if you need, you know, something. Any so if you're doing a house, if you need something fixed around your house, you don't call a, oh, I don't call a random tradie. I find someone who's used a person before because we trust that they're not going to rip us off and they'll do a good job. Like we, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that is just how things work. And then it's just, okay, in society, like how do we make sure people who are like left behind or still get included? So it's not yeah. like... But also, you don't want it incompetent. You don't want it's like who you know, oh, oh someone's son, and they're like 
totally incompetent. There's nothing worse than nepotism in, in any sort of workplace. Yeah, because, but that's like with the tradie thing, like you're calling someone who you know, but not some, you're not calling your brother who's a tradie, but he actually sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's like you want the job done. So if someone's there because they're someone's relation or whatever, but they're actually really good, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like quite, it's like, anyway. So, but yeah, that's fine. Like you're going to talking to people and networking so it is like a lot of it is just talking to people and then you get in the door and then they teach you everything because there's so much like jargon and bullshit but it's actually and that can be intimidating yeah. and you might think like oh my god i don't know this because i haven't worked and like self-doubt feeds but it's like no what the hell like what does that yeah. mean and then people are like oh it's just this new word that came in like last week or something which is the same thing with footy we have the same vocabulary that no one would if you weren't brought up in an AFL club you wouldn't know what half the words we use are so and I learned that when I went to a couple of weeks at Mondelez I just I was sort of keeping up with what was going on but with all the jargon and the you know it was just so hard to comprehend what they were talking about and I keep asking they said just ask questions if you don't know and they go and I said well why do you even use this jargon if it's not relevant they go I don't know it's just been that way for decades so yeah you're right if you pick that stuff up then you're probably fine but pretty intimidating when you first start there and turn up for the first day yeah it is intimidating mm. <laughs> but i'll find out soon enough hopefully another couple of years of footy and then see what happens after that yeah yeah how how sorry going back to you saying people stopping you on the street but that only being a thing because it's like the grand final and then how do you do you just stay pretty grounded through that and just you know, like, okay, cool, people are excited because it's a premiership, but I actually played better last year and no one cared, so... No, I I think of it as, like, only a positive thing. Like, it's awesome when people come up and say hi, as long as they're respectful. Like, occasionally you get a dickhead at a pub who's hammered and wants to talk shit, but 95% of the time, 99% of the time, it's just, like, people being so happy to have seen a grand final and... Because, um, yeah, it's just, like, you bring so much joy to people watching the team when they do well like we sort of have a bit of a mission statement as a team that um the reason we play as a team everyone has their own individual reasons but the team sort of philosophy is that um we bring joy and happiness to those around us and so we play for when we win a game and we're in the change rooms and family and kids are in there and we enjoy that time with them and all the fans outside who've had a great experience coming to the game because we think about these people putting thousands of dollars to come and watch whether we win or lose but we, the reason we play is not to necessarily win, but it's because we bring joy and happiness to those who come. And so when people come up and want to say hi, especially like kids or want to have a photo, which doesn't happen that often for me, but for some players like Gorney, everywhere he goes, it happens. And he's probably one of the best ever at just always saying yes and always being positive with them. Um, like that's not going to happen when I'm finished footy. So it's not like I'm kind of thinking of myself as just make the most of this while this is happening because no one else gets to have this experience of people being so happy for you, for what you get to do as a job. Hmm. Did you, because I can imagine other people get kind of, might get addicted to it or not. Like, do you see that going on or did you ever have a moment where it's like, damn, I want little kids start me for a photo why isn't it happening no I think the only the the one negative at all is the bad stuff that happens on social media the terrible messages the a lot of indigenous players get racist stuff after games um, like get horrible messages we get 
messages based like guys will just tee off and you're saying you cost me my multi you effing dog like a lot of people on betting now it's really bad lots of text messages like you get that you get it on instagram like direct messages saying like you owe me 10 grand i lost because you didn't kick three goals i had you down for three goals today and <laughs> stuff like that which is just bizarre but that's happened relatively recently last year or two lots of messages on you know you've cost me my i'm gonna have to sell me house because i which i think usually they're jokes but so how do you deal with that are, do you I think they are them. jokes like oh, this I think, is- oh a lot of them would be real that they've lost money but um, and they're actually angry or is it banned to like huh? no nah, I think it's like angry but they're probably hammered after a game or whatever And but like it's the more sinister one is there's yeah lots of racist stuff for the indigenous boys which they would happen after most games they get comments after their photos and stuff just like that just random abuse yeah, yeah to do with them playing badly um, no not even that like just random racist stuff like even some people just put like monkey emojis underneath indigenous players and stuff like just shit like that that's just so unnecessary and they're usually like anonymous accounts with no face on it or something but yeah it happens a lot that's the one thing that players like have to do better on is dealing with social media and dealing with the negative stuff on social media and being careful with that sort of thing how have you dealt with like putting some like you have twitter and like putting opinions out there or Um, or it's just not a thing okay because even with like being like oh like i feel like this is what we're talking about before like it seems like everything's so divisive but it's like or so there are sides and it's like oh my god you like jordan peterson that means this but is that kind of oh yeah a couple of of shit on that sort of stuff but i try i don't worry about it too much like I don't think I'm that divisive as a, of a person. Like I'm allowed to like the things that I like. And I love Jordan Peterson. I love listening to his podcasts and stuff. That doesn't make like, even if you're on the total opposite side, I don't think that makes me a bad person. Just like if someone else likes the opposite of Jordan Peterson, I don't know who that is. That doesn't make them a bad person. They just like that. Like, um, so I'm probably more on the end of the football is that I'm willing to sort of show what I like and say what I think when I'm in a media interview, which I get criticised a bit for on Twitter. I don't put much stuff on Twitter, but... Who criticises? Just, just randoms, randoms. yeah. And you... How do you react to that? I just don't, generally. Like, I had one tweet about the Victorian election, sort of, like, in that I didn't think it was a great result. Didn't say anything abusive or anything. And I had, like, 2,000 replies and 70% of them being, like, you're an idiot. And do you yeah. reply to anyone? No, I didn't reply just... to any of them, but... I'm not like I'm not someone who's going to go and delete a tweet because people don't like it. Um, but most footballers won't ever put out anything that's potentially divisive because they just don't want to deal with the backlash that comes. Huh? And like I was one of the only ones who said I wasn't for the vaccine mandates for the AFL when it came in, and at that time got a huge amount of pushback. You're selfish. You're going to kill grandma. All that sort of stuff. From media, from commentators, from random fans on twitter how did that come about were you asked i was asked co- after training comment. and i was like yeah, yeah a reporter come and ask me because i think he knew that i'd give an answer and i was like no fuck it, i'm gonna say it because i feel pretty strongly about this um and just dealt with it in hindsight i think i was right i, I just i didn't say that you shouldn't get vaccinated i just said everyone should be allowed to make the decision themselves it's an individual decision and everyone was like no you don't understand you don't understand how this works like this will save everyone 
two years later, I think I was right that we all got COVID anyway. <laughs> but um, at the time, I just copped it. So yeah, it's interesting because in the UK that just wasn't a thing. There was no. no it was very. It, it was only here in America really where it was super strong. Even America wasn't too bad, but here was like you just couldn't play. Yeah. Yeah, because but the UK in anything in like it was like there was no yeah because yeah, here that was a shock for me like having to show it everywhere ha- yeah to like mm. go to a cafe which in We're, hindsight like, it's just embarrassing in my opinion but <laughs> that we got to that stage when yeah different scenario if you could go yeah you're never going to catch COVID if you're vaccinated but we knew at that stage that wasn't the case anyway mm, but mm. anyway so you wow so that's really good so do you think there are people who want to talk about stuff but they're too scared or people are just kind of like i can't be bothered saying a lot of them just aren't can't be bothered they're not interested in anything divisive politically vaccine stuff not really that interested and then there's probably five or ten percent of the team who maybe would be interested but then can't be bothered dealing with all the blowback that could potentially come especially from like twitter where it's the worst of the worst (laughs) like there's not generally a lot of positive discussion on twitter um but yeah, I'd say a lot just don't really care. Like I probably would, like for the first 10 years of my career, I wouldn't have known what the difference between Liberal and Labor in Victoria was. So, so what made you get interested in it? Um, I don't even know. I'm not sure, to be honest. Maybe it was Jordan Peterson. Listen to some of his stuff. I don't know. I can't remember. And how did you find his stuff? Um, YouTube, probably probably youtube algorithm that we were talking about like he probably popped up randomly yeah i thought oh this is interesting this is different yeah no you know what it was it was uh yeah it was his interview with kathy newman the like famous channel 4 news one where goes have you seen it um yeah where he's like he's men are like home most homeless people are men most incarcerated people are men yeah most he was sort of trying to just untangle a lot of the messy stuff in statistics and show well, this isn't the way you're presenting it is and I was like that was just so brilliantly done that you're interesting I'm going to keep watching you so mm-hmm. yeah that's how I probably got interested and I guess is it just in your nature to be calm and be like I don't that's fine if people want to insult me I'm not gonna well I kind of think I think back to well insulting or stuff on Twitter is not real life because I've never had one person come up to me and say anything like I get on Twitter. I only ever get people come up with positive things saying, oh, thank you for saying what you said the other day in that interview or, but no one has ever once in my life come up and said what you said on Twitter was bullshit or what you said in that interview was wrong. It's only ever (laughs) on social media, but the positive stuff comes through in real life. So I'm kind of like, I don't even know how much of it is real on Twitter. Mm, mm, Mm. Yeah, fair. So that's why I don't use it very much. Like I don't like I'm, I scroll Instagram every day. I don't post a heap except for probably some footy stuff, my family, kids, the my the car that I'm restoring, stuff like that. I don't. Twitter's more just for fun. Twitter, uh, sorry, Instagram. Twitter, I don't tweet very much, but I I like to check every day or two for some interesting stuff. Um, and the meat. Yeah. <laughs> when I- <laughs> yes, I haven't done as much meat content recently, but I got interested in like cooking meat when I started doing the low-carb diet at the start of that footy season. Okay, so you're not doing like a full meat I did at that stage when I started that sort of process. Now I'm just a bit more normal, but still do lots of, you know, steak and American barbecue and that sort of stuff. Nice. Yeah, so I'm really interested. I built my own sort of barbecue set up out in the backyard, so I've got three different barbecues there ready to use each night and 
Yeah, so I'm out there most nights. Nice. Um, okay, should I ask you the last three questions? Yep. Or anything else you want to... Um, no, go for it. Uh, okay, the first one is... I'm just going to make sure, sorry, my wife's called me twice. Oh no, it's okay, only once. I thought I was like, if I missed something, that'd be fine. Keep going. Is Okay, first question, what do you do every day to stay grounded? Ooh. Or it doesn't have to be every day. Look, 90% of the 90% of days depending on where we are with footy and stuff, it's kids to bed. So it's always I always do bath time with the kids, um, get in their jammies, put them into bed, get their bottles with Ruby. Um, but every time I can possibly be home, like I'll try and do that. Uh, Footy-wise, before every training session, I'll have like a specific sort of routine of getting prepped to play, to go out and train or play. So at my age and how many years I've played, the body doesn't feel very good in the morning. So I have to go through like a mobility routine, activation, all this sort of stuff that I do before every training and game. If I just tried to walk out and train, I'd feel horrible. So footy-wise, I have a very like this back mobility stuff and glute activation, which get me ready to play. And then, yeah, nighttime, it's usually the kids. Is there a book that's had a big influence on your life? Mm. I really liked, now I don't like him anymore, the guy who wrote it, but the book Homo Sapiens. Uh, Why don't you like the guy? What? Because he's now like a the... World Economic Forum dude who's saying Yuval, uh, yeah, whatever Yeah, Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah, I love the book. Sapiens. Yeah, Sapiens. Sapiens, yeah, yeah, not Homo sapiens, yeah. Homo Deus is the other one. I yes, I read both of them. But Sapiens is one of the best books I've ever read. Um, Wait, so what? what's the... Because people say... Because, yeah, I love Sapiens. Mm. But then people are like, oh, it's all bullshit and it's fake anthropology. Oh, I don't but know. Then I, don't, I, don't <laughs> the, I just found it super interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same. There's another book, though, that I found really good, which has sort of got me interested in, like, post-footy being involved in, like, marketing but more in the behavioral behavioral tendencies is the daniel kahneman book um thinking fast and slow yes yeah and who's the other guy uh kahneman and what other guy but i got into that by reading the guy's book who wrote moneyball he wrote a segment about it in that book and that's why i went and read thinking fast and slow but i loved that and i loved thinking about I, i liked the idea the stuff i did with cadbury and Mondelez was so interesting about how they make the ads they make and how they measure how much impact it has on consumers and that I find really interesting. Nice. Like why we buy what we buy, why we do what we do when we go to a supermarket, like the eye tracking data, where we look, why stuff is positioned at certain levels and where in a supermarket and I find that really interesting. Hmm. Um, okay, and last question, what three words describe the best version of you? competitive Um, thoughtful Mm. I don't know I can't think of another one I kind of think like I'm splitting my life up into different phases and or like the person you might like in five years from now, like 
you showing up on your best day. Mm. I'd still probably have both of them. And maybe something like articulate or intelligent. But I think I need to have that competitive side of me for whatever I do. And I need to have the thoughtful side that I think about what other people would think or how others would think of me. I'm not sure on a third one. I need a bit more time. All right. What would you choose for yours? I think mine, when I've said it, it's been brave, honest, and kind. But maybe I would, as in those are the things I like, aspire to be. But mm-hmm. then honest, I can't really change that. I'm, I'm just like, that's who I am. And so it's like, make sure to always be kind. Mm to myself and others and then brave I think it's like you're it's like I'm trying to take your things that you're like this I like Jordan Peterson I don't have to apologize for that because I'm very like oh my god I'm scared of like offending someone based on what I'm interested in Mm. which is just kind of stupid do you have this that you were saying at the start though you're worried about what your friends would think about having this guy on did any of them ever actually make any comment or not no and then recently I asked um if Tony Abbott would come on and he said yes and I was like well this will be but I'm like do you know what this is who this is what I want to do I just am interested in talking to people about who they are and like you know everyone's just a human so well like to think about it you're Tony Abbott's like it's a former prime minister you're not having Adolf Hitler on or Joseph Stalin like there's a difference between having I don't know who's the head of any like neo-nazis now yeah that's maybe a that's a fair call to say <laughs> probably don't have them on like that's way too far but we're not talking about those sort of people like we're not talking about and yeah monsters. and that's what I've realised like I don't I don't want to talk to anyone who's spreading hate so like I don't want to talk to it's fine if people in the past have like done things they regret of course yeah so if like a murderer who's then done 20 years and is like has so much you know something interesting to mm. say it's like really you know that potentially could be an interesting guest but yeah if someone's spreading hate no matter who they are they're not really welcome here and people probably aren't going to want to listen to it anyway so but yeah i think you i think you probably have a similar experience to me is that most people if they don't want to listen to it or they don't like something they just they kind of go on with their day and get on with it like they're not that worried about who you have on your podcast to have a chat to Mm. yeah so don't stress (laughs) And if they are, then it's kind of like... I was thinking the opposite of Jordan P. That's something I say. It's like Michelle Obama. I read mm. her book and Jordan Peterson. I read like I read them in the same month. And I'm like, yeah, I like both these books. Like, why aren't I allowed to mm. do that? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on. No, thank you. It was fun. <laughs>